From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 177. Today's show is brought to you by Sanebox, Anchor, and FreshBooks. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Jason Snell. Good morning, Jason Snell. Welcome to another week. Good evening, Mike Hurley. Welcome to Upgrade. <laughs> we have a hashtag Snell Talk question this week from Roman, and I wanted to keep the uh, conversation going from a couple of weeks ago about your design choices on macOS. And Roman asks, what appearance setting do you use, Jason? Blue or graphite? You know, when Apple introduced the appearance for uh, in OS X, and I don't even know when that was, 10.1 maybe, um, because there was a lot of pushback about, about Aqua and how it was all this colored UI and people who did design said it was very distracting to have all these little color bits. So they're like, in a very Steve Jobs way of like, fine, you can also have it be graphite, and it's just black and white, basically. It's just gray. So here it is. Take it. And thus it has remained. There is this wonderful appearance pop-up um, in the general preferences, and you can choose from blue or graphite. That's it. Those are your choices. They're it's never changed. badly named choices as well, blue and graphite, because it's not like it turns everything blue. Right? Like, no, I mean, it lit- literally, when, when, when your appearance is set to blue, you have the red and yellow uh, <laughs> buttons. <laughs> Everyone's on the, favorite. On the windows. Everyone's favorite the green. shade of blue. Red, yellow, red, and green. Red, yellow, and green. <laughs> yeah, those are the best. Those are my favorite shades of blue. Um, I, I have the blue setting because uh, although there are many colors I can't see very well, I can see colors and uh, I like colors. And blue is a color I can see well. So why would I? I have no desire to desaturate my UI. Uh, I never have. Mm. Um, and so I'm fine with it. I do think it is funny, though, that this is one of those things that really only exists because when OS ten came out, a bunch of designers complained that they didn't like the color uh, UI elements. And so there was a moment of like, fine here and then literally it just stays there forever it's pretty funny yeah with nothing ever changed it is it's interesting i uh i use gray i have the 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 graphite you are in graphite but i do one weird little thing as well i'll just get to now cgp gray turned me onto this uh in accessibility under display there is a checkbox for increased contrast and Uh i use that and I like, I prefer the way everything looks. Everything's bolder and stronger uh, with UI elements. That's just my weird little thing that I do. Yeah, I I tried that, and it it, it reminds me. It, it feels it feels wrong, and it feels um, almost like going backward to old macOS days. Um, the kinds of things that people like me and John Syracuse talk about, where suddenly everything's got heavy lines and the and the menu bar is is white, and uh, I don't I don't need that. I do have in that accessibility area. I do have differentiate without color checked on, oh. which is just a little thing that lets you, in certain circumstances, it um, it will make sure that. Uh, color is not the only way you can differentiate between different buttons and uh back i don't know where exactly uh, this actually gets used it used to be that that iChat was a good example where they were where there were different sort of like statuses mm-hmm. and by default they were sort of shown by a little circle with color but you could set it so that instead it was like a square or a circle or a triangle yeah of different colors i had so that too actually that. I, th- I i don't know why but i changed it to have the little icons as well as the colors it's just easier to yeah. see so I do have that, but I don't know if it actually is doing much. But that's that's all. 
So you can send in your hashtag Snell Talk questions about whatever you want, just like Roman did. So send a tweet with the hashtag Snell Talk and it may be included on a future episode. Thank you to Roman. Uh, so I want to do a bit of follow-out for uh, Jason's wonderful show, Download, where this week you went into detail about a big story um, about Apple in regards to money. So Apple has taken advantage of new tax legislation in the United States to bring foreign money back to the U.S., Uh, They're giving bonuses to staff, and they're also going to create 20,000 new jobs because of all of this. Yeah, there's a whole press release Mm -hmm. that they did, and yeah. And they're also building uh, a new campus somewhere. This is There's not really a lot of information about that yet, but I assume that will hold a lot of these new people, which will be... Well, and it sounds like it's tech support people, and they already have have tech support people, I believe, in Austin and Sacramento, I want to say. So it sounds like they're going to do more of that in another another building. But I mean, there are so many Apple campuses. I've seen this reported. There are a couple places where this got reported as a second campus, and it's like, well, wait a second. Like, Mm. Apple has so many campuses. This is not HQ2. This is just another set of buildings with a bunch of Apple employees in in another location, just like they've got people in all sorts of places. Like Austin, yep. that's and, very good. Context. I guess Sacramento, and it's very and, good and they've got multiple campuses in the Bay Area. In Cupertino, they have multiple campuses, not just Infinite Loop and, and Apple like, Park. Later on in the show, we're going to talk about <laughs> another one, right? So, like lots, indeed. Uh, campus is yeah. the wrong word, probably, right? Is that they're just opening a new employee space somewhere? Um, yeah, I mean, it's going to have a lot of people in it, and that's great. I have really confi- conflicting feelings about a lot of this stuff um, because. This is like big business doing big business things, right? Like, I think there is a there is a tendency to paint Apple as like this mythical, wonderful company that like makes every right decision. But I mean, this is just Tim doing big business stuff, right? They they didn't have to wait to do any of these things. Like, Apple has the money to have done all of this stuff without needing to bring this U.S. money back, or they could have brought it back and paid all the tax on it, right? Like, it's just about what the law is at the time. So they waited until yeah. these tax legislations that have been uh, passed by the current uh, government was all in place before doing any of this. Like, obviously, this is Tim doing what he should do as the the CEO of the biggest company in the world to make sure that you can maximize the amount of money the company makes and pay the least amount of tax legally as possible. But like, my question is to people just to think about like, what does this make you feel about the company? Like, is this the company that you expect? Honestly, it's the company that I expect because they are a big business. But I think it's just worth mentioning stuff like this because if you don't like the thought of this we'll just assume that apple isn't perfect i don't know that's all i have to say i i don't really understand enough of this stuff but that's how it makes me feel yeah it's not my favorite subject either um i i think it's look i think it's great that the that apple has for a while now been highlighting ways that impacts the u.s economy um and creates jobs and spends money in the u.s i think that that is a one of the savvier kind of PR and political PR things that they've done for a while now. This is hardly the first of those. We can go back and forth there a lot, and it all depends on sort of like how you view tax policy and how businesses work and all that because Apple could have brought this cash in earlier. They would have just had to pay more in taxes. But it's been a discussion for the last maybe five years of uh, in Congress uh, and I would actually say goes across administrations. Uh, it's been happening for a while, this conversation about would there be a sort of like uh, whether you want to call it a, a one-time holiday or a change in tax law in some way that allows them to bring the money that's held overseas back to the U.S. with a reduced tax rate. And that was basically, it's almost like 
a negotiation between the government and a big business saying, well, we'll bring it back uh, for a lower rate. And then it's like, well, what's that rate going to be where it's low enough that we'll bring it back, but high enough that the government is happy to take the money. And so Apple's going to pay like, I don't know what, $13 billion in tax or something on this. Mm -hmm. Although my understanding is actually that Apple would have been paying tax on it, I think, regardless of whether they brought it back or not. It's some change in the law. There's a lot of details here that I I am not a tax, tax expert at all. But uh, you know, the fact is, they are a big business. Uh, they are focused on on money and value for shareholders. And uh, they are concerned about government regulations and how that affects their business. And they are concerned about uh, whether the government looks upon them positively or negatively from a, you know, a standpoint of... Uh, not just tax, but regulation in general. So one of the games that they're going to play, and every big company should be playing these games, is pointing out publicly how very important they are and how many jobs that they create and how much money they're investing in the United States because that is a way to express to the the, the government that oversees them that they're um, that they're important and should be either shouldn't be messed with or should be uh, taken care of depending on how you want to view it so yeah it's 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 uh but you know yeah this started i would say tim cook like announcing that the mac pro was going to be made in the u.s mm-hmm. was was part of this you know they've tried to highlight about the the app economy and and how many app development jobs are out there that are basically using apple's platforms so they're trying to take credit beyond just apple but it, like the the apple sphere of influence because that gives them bigger numbers to report and bigger impact that they're making um but so this this goes on and um I beyond that, I mean, it's something you said really struck me, and it's something that I've talked about for a while now, which is there's a lot of people who, and th- this was true, I'd say it's true less now than it was back then because Apple is so clearly a an enormous business and with they don't high have stock price and all that. The mythical figure anymore, right? Well, right, that's true, but still, even now, but less than it was five or ten years ago. I I would have these conversations with people five or ten years ago where they'd be like, oh, I, you know, why does Apple do this and why does Apple do this? And I'm really disappointed in them. And I would say, okay, you love Apple, you love Apple's products, that's great. I know you feel a connection there. They're connected to you personally, probably to your livelihood. There's lots of lots of connection there, lots of emotional connection there. It's great. That like so many people made an emotional connection to Apple, or you know believed in the products. We um, both have it, right? We both have it. Yeah, absolutely, mm-hmm. right. the The problem is they are a profit making business, regulated by uh, lots of rules about uh, serving their shareholders and about the value of the shareholders' uh, uh, holdings. Um, and don't and that's just it's sort of like uh, being a fan of a like a baseball team or something like that a sport a, any sort of sports franchise it's like they're a business you're their you're 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 their customer um and 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 you can feel attachments to them because people certainly do that with sports stuff too but in the end they are a business they are going to make decisions based on money and some of them you may not like and that's just they're not a charity they're a business and they're going to run it that way and and it's always important to keep that in mind just keep your eyes open to that part of it which is this is um you know it, it, and now it's more clear 
that, that Apple is a huge mm-hmm. business. There was a while there where Apple might as well have been a charity because <laughs> it was not going so great. But that's not the case anymore. And you can you can see it more clearly now. And I'm not saying don't feel an emotional attachment to Apple or Apple products or, um, you know, what the Mac or uh, the iPhone or the iPad means to you. It's just, be, you know, be aware of the other part of it, which is this is not a company that's making decisions because it wants to make the most people happy. It's a company making decisions because it wants to be successful and fulfill its corporate ideals and, yes, make people happy, happy customers who give them money. That's just how it is. That is the nature of the relationship. And if Apple was just trying to increase everybody's happiness but not actually bring in any money, they would be... Um, they would be in trouble because their shareholders would be very angry at them. That's all. I'm just. I'm not trying to mm-hmm. to say wake up sheeple here or anything yeah. like that. I'm just <laughs> God, saying. No. Let's all let's all keep it in mind that that this this stuff is they have they have attorneys, tax attorneys, and this is why they create. With this kind came up with the, like the tax shelters in in Ireland and all yeah. of that. It's the yeah. same thing. It's like you know you can you can love the products, but of course they're hiring attorneys to navigate to pay the least amount of tax possible because that's their job that is you know you don't have to like it but you got to be aware of it but on the flip side there are amazing things like today there's a press release from apple that they are going to be funding the malala foundation to support girls education right so there's like this big uh, piece on the apple newsroom today that they're going to be funding for the malala fund like just a ton of money so that's also the good stuff, right? That not all companies do these kinds of things. It's great that sure. they do. So that's what kind of stuff that makes you feel good about them. But then there are also yeah, things where it's not so much. And I'm definitely, I'm definitely not saying um, Apple doesn't do anything but be a cold, unfeeling corporation, right? Apple does a lot of things because of the, their corporate kind of corporate beliefs and and uh, and their their feeling of being a positive force in the in the world and all of that. They do stuff too, but. Yep. You know, it, it's it, it's but they also have the a giant side. corporation. They have that, and you can't you can't <laughs> ignore it. And if they didn't have that, then they wouldn't be around anymore, right? It's like it is it is what it is. Anyway, so let's move on. Uh, last week we decided that the ongoing media segment should get its own name. Um, so we petitioned the Upgradians to come up with some suggestions. Uh, and I have picked out, Jason, my favorites. Um, so many people suggested this, but Kate was first in the chat room. Upstream. Uh, Matt suggested Media Outlook. Mark suggested Mike TV uh, in honor of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, Tom suggested <laughs> Antenna Upgrade, but I prefer just Antenna. I think Antenna sounds good. I like one words where we can. Uh, Phil suggested Showtime. Chris suggested Pre-Roll. And Mark suggested TV Guide, which I thought was also quite clever. Which do you like, Jason Snell? I kind of like Upstream mm-hmm. because it's like upgrade yep. and streaming video. <laughs> yeah, I think that's where it comes from. <laughs> you know, it's like that's the it means what it says and mm-hmm. says what it means, and I like that. I kind of like Mike TV. Uh, I don't think it's the right name. Uh, also, I do really because like it though, it's fun. If it you fun. if you um, it has the advantage of like I'm just going to have you do all the work on that one then. <laughs> Because it's Mike TV, it's not Jason TV. I I don't need to be involved at all. You could just pre-tape that. We'll drop it in. Mike do, TV, here's we Mike. Do, we'll like, listen with to Snell Mike. Talk. We do Mike TV with Jason Snell, right? Like that's that's how interesting. That works. Um, is that how that works? Uh, but I like it because it's a Charlie and the Chocolate Factory uh, yep. reference, right? That's Mike TV was the kid who got beamed into a television on that, and that was fun. What about you? They are my two favorites. Oh, 
So we need okay. to decide between one of them. Well, it's upstream then. <laughs> yeah, it's, I think it's got to be upstream. So upstream is the name of our new media segment, and we are about to begin the first ever upstream. So uh, oh, nice. Disney has hired uh, an ex-Apple executive to guide some of their video launches. So Bamtech Media, which is a company we've spent a bunch of time talking about, hired a guy by the name of Kevin Swint. Kev, uh, Swint has previously worked at both Apple and Samsung. Uh, the Variety report doesn't specify what he did at Apple, uh, we assume it's something on the media side, but you know, as it you can said, imagine, uh, the 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 report I saw said that he was in charge of the movies area okay. of iTunes, which is not. I, I I don't know. I guess that means that includes like uh, maybe making deals and and how movies get marketed and do they get special you know extras on the iTunes version and all of that. But it's unclear exactly. Uh, but but something in that area. So Swint has been tasked to build and run what will eventually become Disney's upcoming Netflix competitor. So Disney are building multiple streaming services. One of them is to include all of their properties. So like, for example, Disney isn't renewing any contracts with Netflix, right? Because they're going to take all of their stuff and they're going to sell it to you for a monthly fee. Uh, Swint's credentials is he built a service at Samsung called Milk, which is their music and video streaming service. I had no idea this product ever existed. Um yeah. Who knows if he's the right person for this? I saw some interesting people t- like t- tweeting about this. I saw some stuff popping up on my timeline. Be like, oh, Disney hired a guy who's fa- who's created potentially two failed streaming services to run my streaming service. Uh, so, you know, we'll see what happens there. But Disney are making some serious moves. And I, would, I really hope that they're going to get the good front-end tech to go with their good back-end tech for this. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, J.J. Abrams is shopping around a TV space drama. Uh, it's a spec script that he's got right now, showing it to a bunch of people. Apparently, the most interested part is our Apple and HBO. Mm-hmm. My question on this is, if Apple got this, wouldn't this be their third space show? Feels like too sounds much space. Like, That's that too sounds much like space. The, that would be another another sci-fi. Well, so here's the, the, the argument against it is it's too much sci-fi stuff and you want to balance it out the argument for it is that apple's gonna have a somewhat (laughs) well apple's gonna have a somewhat nerdier audience so maybe it's okay if there's more sci-fi stuff on there it's jj abrams getting a deal with jj abrams probably not a bad idea and uh i will point out like the biggest the biggest hits on tv right now are genre it's the walking dead and game of thrones the biggest hits for decades now in film are blockbuster genre movies mostly science fiction fantasy action kind of stuff it is um yeah and so maybe you pursue it anyway hoping that one of these things is gonna gonna hit and be a a game of thrones kind of like buzz show and again the kind of people to to be in uh in business with like uh, steven spielberg and jj abrams it's not not necessary and ron moore right it's like these are also creators that you want to be in business with so um i'm i'm i see the other side though which is like we, we said this last week it's, it does seem a little bit like they don't want to be the sci-fi channel right and that's yes. the that's the the danger here at the same time you know hbo's got westworld and game of thrones and i think they've got some other um sci-fi projects as well so it's uh i could go either way on that i i think they probably look at this and say look all things being equal we wouldn't be bidding on another science fiction show necessarily but 
it's a spec script from J.J. Abrams. I think it's the first script that he's done for TV since Fringe, I want to yep, say. That's what the, and, uh, the Hollywood Report was saying, yeah. Yeah, he produces a lot of TV, but he hasn't actually like built his own TV show in a while that he's written. So, uh, and HBO's interested too, which means that that price is just going to keep getting driven up. It's good mm-hmm. to be J.J. Abrams, I guess, but yeah. Yeah, I think right now if you have a script to shop around, you want to see Apple's name in it. Right, if you want that money to go up, you want to see their name in it. Right, same as like you want to see Netflix, you want to see Amazon. Like that's how the prices are getting pushed up right now, because oh, yeah. there is this there is an arms race going on. Um, Apple have also grabbed some more office space in Culver City. Uh, HBO backed out of a deal for these office this office space, which Apple has now moved in. Uh, I like that the company that owns the building. They were like, we were excited about HBO. We were a lot more excited about Apple. <laughs> I'm sure you are. Uh, for those that don't know, Culver City uh, is a city in California that has been historically popular for Hollywood. It's so it's kind of just where everybody is. It's there's like what is it? So, the MGM lot is there, which Sony owns now, I think. I read about on Wikipedia. Um it makes sense that Apple would want to have some real specific space there. Um if they're already leasing some space, but this will be a bit more serious, a bit more prominent. So continuing to make those moves. So that was our yeah. first ever uh, upstream. Should that be a hashtag? Should we hashtag upstream or just upstream? I, don't, I think it's we're not really soliciting uh, not yet anyway. You know, co- comments that drive the content, right? Like true. ask true, upgrade true, true. and snell talk to. So I would say no. I know you like custom art for the people who mm-hmm. get custom art on chapter markers in their podcast apps. Um, I, I doubt it will be there in this episode because be that would require episode. the art to be created Within while we're hour. talking, yes, which is probably not going to happen. But uh, but soon there will be. Who knows what it will look like? Even, but uh, that's the main reason we do these segments. Yeah, I think is to get cool art. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of my big reasons. <laughs> I love the art. <laughs> I love the art so much. So I know, uh, but I like the segments. The segments are fun. So, but I will say, if you come across the, the upgradings, any uh, any interesting news, uh, please send it in because I'm I'm at the moment struggling to find out where to get this stuff from. Um, so, because my feeling, so basically, if I start following Variety and Hollywood Reporter on Twitter, I'm going to get too much stuff that I, I don't want to. I'm see. already. I'm already following all of this because of TV Talk Machine. So, all right, you just send me um, the links, and then I'll do I will. Thanks. That's all Thank I want. You. All right, yes, sir. We're going to finish out the episode today with something a little bit special. Uh, the first and maybe only ever Mike at the Matinee. Uh, I saw Hamilton, and I need to talk about it, and Jason right. Snell was the person that I will talk about Hamilton with. So that's going to be the end that of our show Seems today. fair. All right, let's take a break. Today's show is brought to you by our friends over at FreshBooks. You know, if you are a freelancer, how important it is to make smart decisions for your business. And take it from me, one of the smartest decisions that you can make is to sign up for FreshBooks. They're going to save you a ton of time. They're going to save you a bunch of hassle and aggravation and anxiety and worry for a bunch of simple reasons. Their system is super easy to use. You can go in and get your clients set up and your invoices set up and your time tracking set up really easily. You log in, you get everything you need. When you when you log in right there, there's a great notifications pane that shows you the things that you need to be focusing on in your business. And then once you've got your invoices sent out, which is super simple to do, they have a great interface and it's all what you see is what you get. So as you're building the invoice, you will see it as your client will see it when it lands in their inbox. The invoices get sent out and then you don't have to worry anymore because you can see when somebody's opened it. You can see if they printed it. You can see how many, if they keep coming back to it. 
you can see them doing it again. So you don't have to send those emails or be concerned or worried about whether somebody's even got your invoice, let alone started to process it. And if you do have any problems with people that pay late, they can automate late payment reminders. So you never even have to send those. Trust me, if you send invoices to people, you want to try out FreshBooks. They are offering an unrestricted 30-day free trial for listeners of this show with no credit card required. Just go to freshbooks.com upgrade and enter upgrade in the how did you hear about us section so they will know that you came to them from this show. We thank FreshBooks for their support of upgrade. Once again, that is freshbooks.com upgrade for a 30-day free trial. Thanks to FreshBooks for their support of Relay FM. So uh, there was a report from, via 9to5Mac from KGI Securities. KGI are cagey uh, at best huh. with, their, with their rumors, but they, they, they talk sense a lot of the time. So, and, I, and I like this. I think they make a lot of sense. So they are having a report uh, about the iPhone lineup for this year. Um, KGI is saying that there will be three new iPhones debuted this year. There'll be an iPhone 10 successor. Think of an iPhone 10s, a 6.1 inch LCD model to replace the iPhone 8. It will look in style to the iPhone 10, so notch and Face ID and all that kind of stuff, but priced to be cheaper in the 650 to 700 range. So this will replace the 8 and the 8 Plus. Like this is that phone. Then there will be a 6.5 inch OLED iPhone 10. Plus, um, which is a very interesting lineup to have. Uh, KGI suggests, interestingly, that Apple may actually stop making the current iPhone 10 completely this year. It won't fall down the line as a cheaper model. Apple will come into the end of this year with a brand new lineup of phones. One of the reasons they're said to be doing this is that the iPhone 10 has not been selling as well as predicted in China. Again, all coming from KGI's reports, they're an analyst firm. Always take those things with a grain of salt, but they do their work and they pay for it. Uh, and apparently, this uh, because it's not that popular in China, it's harming the overall sales of the model. And apparently, this is being said because there is a perception that the notch has been a turnoff, as it indicates wasted screen space. And the 6s <laughs> and the 7 and all the Plus models and the 8s, they're still selling really good because they've got these big full screens. Because in China, big screen phones are a huge deal. It's one of the reasons that Apple created the Plus in the first place. KGI believe that if they do ship all three new units this year, the iPhone shipments will grow 10% year on year. So thinking about this, my first question is, I don't fully understand that last part because if there are problems in China about the notch, why would having three phones of a notch improve this? Like, my th- uh, mm-hmm. That's my question. I mean, maybe yep. the thinking is like, if you have a stronger lineup overall, which all embraces this design, that maybe it might make it more desirable in some way, or by having the iPhone 10 Plus, it serves that purpose because that is a huge screen at that point. So maybe that's what they need. Like maybe it will be the Plus model that tips it over. But I don't think that KGI and the report have gone into detail about like why doing this will turn the tide in China. Now, unless unless there's something embedded in this that's an assumption that an iPhone uh, X successor might have a slightly different design where they they get rid of the notch and just leave a little bit of headspace at the top for yeah, the Yeah, it for might the be sensor. smaller at least, right? So, like, there's still a notch, but, like, it's much, more, like, it's much less significant uh, than the current one. And if that is the case, like, if they do make a refinement to the design, then I could understand why the 10 would go away completely. But they're apparently they're hearing rumors that it will that the iPhone 10 will be end will be considered end of life yeah. 
in August. I think I actually think that's one of the most reasonable things in this report is the idea that um, at the 10 being a high end and expensive device is maybe not as conducive to being rolled down the price structure at this point yep. as the other models are. And I don't, I mean, this is something we talked about, about naming. I, I don't see where you go with the iPhone 10 in terms of a name, unless you really just go, all right, and now it's iPhone 11. But I don't, I, I look at this as Apple replaying what they did with the OS 10 brand, which is 10 is the brand. And so a new iPhone 10 this fall will be the new iPhone 10. That's it. Like hmm. the new iPhone 10, iPhone 10 uh, 2018 model. And then next year will be the iPhone 10 2019 model. And it'll just keep going like that. I think that that is a very possible direction because it gets Apple off of the uh, name incrementing thing. It's just the iPhone 10 means this phone, this model, like the iPhone SE means this phone. So Apple started naming the chips, right? Like Bionic and stuff like that. Do you think we could see something like that with the iPhone 10? So it like becomes like the iPhone 10 Bionic, like that would delineate the new model. I think it's possible. Um, it depends. I mean, that's that's a marketing question of like, can does Apple feel like it can sell a new iPhone with the you know like, can you can you sell a new iPhone 10 that's just the new iPhone 10 um, to people who have last year's or two years ago's iPhone 10? Now, in every other product they sell, that is the case, right? Like yeah. the new iPad Pro is just the new iPad Pro. My, you know, I have I have the iPad Pro uh, 2017, right? Versus a 12.9 inch 2017 as opposed to 2015, right? But they're just, it's not a new number. It's not the iPad Pro 12 inch, you know, 12.92, right? It's it's not. So they there's a marketing question there, which is like, do you need to sort of give it a spin? And this is the iPhone yeah, then you're then you're turning it into like OS ten nicknames, right? Where you're you're giving mm-hmm. it Bionic infusion and things like that. I think it's possible. Because um, my challenge would kind be of... that like the, the iPhone is the only product that Apple has where they expect or want their customers to buy a new one every year, right? Like everything else is like people have their time frames in which they replenish. Like the iPad, like people most people don't buy iPads every year, right? We know that. We can see that in the numbers. But the iPhone is like people want that every one or two years you want people to be moving through it. So my thinking would be that having the same name might app open Apple up to the criticism that they'd faced previously to the iPhone 10. It's like nothing's changing, right? Like because the, the phones look the same. Yeah. So my concern would be having it after the same name would draw the same problem of like, oh, it's no different because they didn't even change the name, right? So I, yeah, that, I would that's, expect... That's I, the counter I, argument for sure. I totally am on board with the theory that it will be iPhone ten, but I think that they will give some kind of way to differentiate the name a little bit. I don't know what it would be, but no. uh, but I, I do think that like iPhone ten is a brand of its own. That is like a new brand. Um, we'll see how that goes. I it it should be it should 11 be. It should mean this kind yeah. of phone right yes. this this yep. the phone the phone that looks like this that has the oled screen that's got the face id that's cool. this yeah. is the iphone 10 and as long as this look is around it will be the iphone 10 now maybe if they do a big upgrade and they get rid of the notch in you know 2 or 3 years or whatever maybe that's also still the iphone 10 or maybe not maybe at that point it's the iphone something else maybe not 11 because i think i do think they want to get off the numbers here i, I feel like too. in the end we're going to have 
have iPhone SE, iPhone, and iPhone 10, or, or maybe it's iPhone SE, iPhone something, and iPhone 10. And then iPhone always remains the name, but the numbering goes away and it's more just about what, you know, what's in the lineup. And I think that is better because I do think that in the end, you probably don't want to sell the iPhone 14. Yeah. What do you think about this proposed actual lineup of phones, like a new 10, a 10 plus and a, and a, and a new one to replace the existing phones? iPhone 10 plus we talked about, um, I think a couple weeks ago and, uh, I think it's great. Like that, or it was last week. It was our wish list, right? Yep. Uh, I would love to see it because I know there are people who like larger phones and a larger iPhone 10. Um, if the iPhone 10 satisfies me and I don't like a larger phone, that makes me feel like there are people who are not happy, uh, with the size of it and that would like a bigger phone. And that it, person is not me, but I think that that, that market must exist. So that sounds great. I it all breaks down for me with this other model and the idea that it would replace the eight, which I also don't it doesn't follow like a 6.1 inch LCD phone does not replace any existing iPhone models, right? It is not even close. The existing models are 4.7 and 5.5. So a big LCD to replace the eight doesn't make sense to me what about if it still costs you a thousand dollars to get into oled minimum yeah but but this is not about fitting it to a price it's about reaching a market like if you if you clear out all the smaller phones and i'm not talking about the se i'm talking about the iphone 8 and say no we're not doing that anymore the next phone is going to be in it's just going to be another enormous phone it's going to be bigger than the plus in terms of screen diagonal like i just that that's that's so i guess what i'm saying is i guess i could see this product as kind of an additional model almost Mm -hmm. like a almost like a an iphone 9 plus kind of phone it's a cheaper way to get into face id in the new design right i think that's that was why this would exist right for that reason so it it is like an i do agree with you that it seems strange to be like we're going to replace two phones with one phone that's big. So I don't I just don't believe it makes any sense that there would not all there would not be a standard iPhone. But what if just right? the 8 I, is still around and cheaper? Well, this is this is the question is would you are we at the end or is there another phone to come? Because my my problem with it is I still feel like the standard iPhone the 4.7 inch diagonal iPhone that's the iPhone 8 is a huge seller just my gut feeling KGI confirmed that it's 6s 7 and 8 is still selling great yeah so why would you say we're no longer going to make a new model in that shape why why would you do that if you're Apple why would Bravado? you not just let it ride another year and make it faster and take the plus maybe and turn that into something that looks a little bit more like the 10 and and keep it around because I, I mean that's a big step to say hey this is this is perhaps our best model best selling model and if not it's one of our best selling models um, but we're just not going to update it we're just going to let you can still buy the iPhone 8 and we've moved on I don't know I feel like there's probably space in there for another year and an iPhone 9 to do that but uh, this report suggests and again sometimes I wonder about these reports because they're about new models and therefore existing model shapes can be invisible to them 
So it could be that they're also going to do an iPhone 9 that's 4.7 inch mm-hmm. and it looks just like the one that's there now and it'll have new internals and it's not on their radar because it's not a different shape. It looks exactly like an iPhone 8 and therefore they can't see. The parts aren't that different uh, and their intelligence from the supply chain can't help 100% them. imagine four phones. There is the regular iPhone. The Plus is replaced by this 6.1 inch LCD and then you have the two two outlet phones yeah i think there, there uh, isn't really a, in my, if they make this this 6.1 inch lcd phone there's no point having the plus around anymore you may as well get this new exactly this, this new model which gives you all of that plus face id for a cheaper yeah, price at a lower like, uh, at a lower price and that's the that's the big thing whether it's yeah i mean uh, it, it, let's assume that it's face id and, and not uh touch id because it's if you're they're doing, doing a new design Presumably, they would move it to Face ID, and the OLED screen is presumably the thing that is the biggest limiter in terms of, um, in terms of the cost of the of the hardware, and so it allows them to price it down below what the 10 and the 10 plus would be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think if if you had me just you know throw a dart <laughs> at the dartboard and say uh, you know pick a pick a uh, a scenario, I think the scenario that I would pick, I would aim for, would be that, which is nine nine plus. 10, 10 plus. And uh, that gives them a spread. And then presumably they keep selling the eight and the eight, eight plus at, at lower price. And that's your, and then the SE down on the bottom. And that's your iPhone uh, product line, which I mean, gives I, them I, a, a range of prices. I could almost see them taking that like iPhone six size and just making it like the SE, right? Like there's just this cheaper one and it's this size and you can get it if you want it, but the future is over here. And then they just keep it around for for a period of time with older technology, and then just refresh it. Yeah, yeah. So it's 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 fascinating. The um, the six point one inch LCD model is really fascinating to me because presumably it would be kind of like taking the eight plus and doing the uh, bezel less thing, like the ten but with a cheaper display. And so you'd get more screen out of it, even if it wasn't much bigger physically. And it's an interesting idea to do that. Like that's it's the part that really is thing. Cause it looks like you have the new phone, right? Like, it looks like an iPhone 10, yeah. even though it's not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating. And if they did that and if they did that while keeping the iPhone eight style for the smaller phone, which I think would be fine. Cause it's the same argument as the SE, right? It's like some people like perfectly the old style is fine. Let's just keep it around. Mm-hmm. And so the iPhone 5 style continues in the SE. Maybe that's the answer for the uh, for the 4.7 inch diagonal with touch ID is like, well, it's kind of our old design now, but people like it. It's popular. We'll keep it around. But um, but taking the plus and kind of like pushing it forward toward the uh, toward the 10 because Ultimately, I think we we would probably say ultimately Apple's goal, I think, is to have OLED phones with Face ID and not have these uh, these LCD uh, Touch ID phones. But it's going to take years for that to roll out because they want to keep they want to maintain their price points. So, yeah, yeah, I think it's I, I I'm I think it's really interesting. Uh, also, I guess it's officially 2018 now, Mike. <laughs> the I let the iPhone fall. Yeah, I think, yeah. Begin. that's when you know that oh. you know, it's really ticked over. There's one last thing yeah. I want to touch on with this, Jason. If KGI are right and the iPhone 10 is underperforming in China, what does that do to Apple's earnings? 
Well, we will get an idea. The big holiday quarter results call will tell us a lot when about is what's going on. That is on February 1st. Oh, I've already got it on my calendar, in fact. Apple results, 1.30 Pacific, February 1st, a Thursday. Um, so we're going to talk about it in two weeks. We'll know in, like on this show what we talk about in two weeks. That's interesting. Yeah, Apple predicted that it would be their biggest quarter ever. Yep. Right. So if there's underperforming iPhones somewhere in the world, um, it may hit the numbers. How much is it underperforming? Is this kind of an overreaction? People got the ability of Apple to ship iPhone X wrong. So, you know, there's been some some bad reporting or some poor assumptions that have been baked in but yeah we'll, we'll see yeah. it and if we don't see it even if the pure numbers are really great we'll, we may see uh slower growth in china or something like that that would be an indicator and then i would bet almost so, certainly selling price as well will we'll, we'll yeah almost certainly that. almost certainly apple uh or almost certainly analysts will ask apple about it um, and Tim Cook really likes to talk, to drill down on some China-specific numbers. So I'd imagine we're going to get a good idea of how the iPhone 10 was received in China um, come February 1st. Talking about products and releases and such and such, uh, the HomePod. So the HomePod has received FCC approval. Um, now, typically... Apple gets FCC approval about a month before a product launches. Now, you may say to me, Mike, how do they do this for every iPhone? Well, there is a um, there is a secret process that the FCC will go through uh, if for an unreleased product. But if a product is already known to the world, then this all this stuff is public, uh, so you will you can see it. You can see that it is a public approval. So, like for example, the iPhone 10 received FCC approval about a month before it shipped. So it is possible that this this is moving along, and in about a month or so, we may see the HomePods release. Um, however, we got a we got a little email today, Jason, from yeah, someone we, in the know. Yeah, from a, uh, a a source, I guess that's mm-hmm. not inside mm-hmm. Apple, but it was interesting and backs up some other stuff that sort of the rumblings about this, which is that the holdup really here here is uh, software and maybe even specifically AirPlay two. The idea that the, uh, which we've heard and speculated about before, that the HomePod hardware is fine, like it's done, and they probably made them, and they're sitting in a warehouse in China somewhere ready to ship, but the software side hasn't been there, and that AirPlay 2 in in particular has been, uh, uh, you know, is an ambitious project, and it has taken time for them to kind of get it right, and as a result, the uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if there are some other sort of like Siri related stuff happening too. Mm-hmm. But rather than ship the HomePod, and I, I think honestly, I think Apple's thinking if we ship this and it isn't good enough, people are going to just destroy us, and they're not going to just say this is a bad product. They're going to say Apple can't beat Amazon or uh, with Alexa or with the Google Assistant, um, you know, or other competitors that are out there like Apple will look really, really bad because they're entering late into this market. So I, I would agree. I'd agree with that. You can't enter late and badly, right? Like that's that's not good. They kind of need, need to stick the landing, even if they've set expectations for exactly what they're doing here and what they're not doing here. Like the HomePod is what it is. It is one one product 
uh, from Apple. So they're still going to be seen as kind of being behind here. But if it's good at what they say it's for, then it will be received positively and it's a it's a place to start. But if it's not good at what they say it's for, that's going to be bad. So anyway, the, the it seems like from some people who seem to be in the know that uh, this is what's going on, is that the, the HomePod hardware is ready, but there's been some software issues and that's what we're waiting for. But um, Apple seems confident that it's going to ship early this year, which means what, between now and April? So, or between now and the end of April? I don't know. Yeah, uh, Vidit in the chat room is asking, like, what is AirPlay 2? Well, AirPlay 2 is a few different things. Um, it's it's good multi-room audio support as available for third parties. It's also HomeKit support as well. So these are pretty important things for the, the future of this type of product on Apple's ecosystem. So this is the type of stuff that they want. And I guess that there's more features there as well, um, but they're, they're the types of things that we know about right now. Um, and that's what they need for the HomePod. It needs to be able to support these types of things. And if it doesn't, well, that's a disaster of a product, and that might be why it's being held up. I mean, we were also told that apparently the hardware's done and ready and waiting, and it's just a case of AirPlay 2 being ready for as long as that may or may not take. I don't even... I mean, personally, I'm not interested in this product. I don't know if people are... I don't know if that this is something where like the HomePod is being eagerly awaited by the masses. I don't know. I mean, it it looks like an interesting product. I think it'll have a market. As we talked about when it was announced, it feels like a niche product. And the fact that it's from Apple means that it will probably appeal to a wider audience than the same product would if it was released by Sonos, let's say. But it is... You know, this it's a music player pod with voice control and also presumably app control through AirPlay 2. And so, you know, there are lots of those out there now. And maybe Apple's will be really good and it will have integration that other um, that other devices don't have because it's from Apple. Um so, uh, but I, I'm with you. I mean, this is this has been the curious thing about this product. It's most notable because it's from Apple and it's Apple's first voice-controlled sort of uh, standalone device. And that's that's interesting more than it is because this is this is you know for the price and what you get, it is a narrower market than a lot of the other competitive products here. So. Um, and well, that might be good. I mean, in the end, it might be good at that, and that might make it a successful product, even if it's to a smallish audience. But I don't think it's going to have the broad broad appeal of something like AirPods, right? It's mm-hmm. not that kind of product. Yeah. Well, I mean, between this being announced in June and where we are eight months later, probably by the time it gets out to the world, Amazon and Google have not been resting on their laurels. And CES this year was flooded with smart assistant products. Yeah, this is, um, I wrote a, a piece about this for Macworld following up on a couple of pieces. Uh, Brian Chan at the New York Times, Ben Baharan, who had his uh, Tech Pinions piece republished in Recode. Um, and both of them made this observation that the hot products at CES this year, the ones that everybody... Because CES, CES is all about tech companies, um, uh, consumer electronics hardware companies especially, falling over themselves to find an angle. Like, to find an angle 
for them to sell a product. Mm -hmm. And so it's oftentimes it's integrating with or connecting with some popular product. So when I was going to CES, a lot of it was, how can we get this to be an angle with the iPhone? So it was, this is a case for the iPhone. This is a battery case. This is a battery. This is a screen protector. And, And some of it was, this is a weird piece of hardware, but we have an app that sort of talks to it but uh that gives us a story to tell about the iphone and that's that's what it's all about right um and so what ben and brian are saying is well uh it used to be that people bend over backwards to uh to connect themselves to apple but at ces this year everybody was trying to connect themselves to the google assistant and to amazon echo that is such a good point right because it was like oh what our product now has a 30 pin dock connector in it so you can put your iphone and ipod like it's you know that was uh-huh. the big thing and now it's just like oh no as well as all of the other things that our product can do it also has google assistant built right in yeah right like there yeah. were like there's a, light switches there's a toilet there's a toilet with cortana of course there is yes <laughs> right so but there were some is, really is... interesting looking products as well like there's a lot of junk but there's some really good looking stuff if you well, are in so... that world so this is this is always the thing with CES is CES it, there's a lot of junk and it is so much of it is what I just described which is let's desperately try to find some popular product for us to connect ourselves to so that we can convince people that this is a product that they want to buy um, and that's just I mean that's business that's how it is sort of like when we were talking about Apple's business like that's that's I'm not trying to render judgment here on on the business approach I I am trying to say let's just be clear about what's going on here and a lot of the products that i saw that connected to the iphone uh at ces were garbage they were crappy cases or badly designed battery cases or things that were supposed to do things that they basically couldn't that i knew ios couldn't do but they were claiming they could do there was a lot of that a lot of sort of snake oil because they they hadn't really thought through their pitch they were just trying to to connect themselves to apple and apple apple unlike google and amazon with the echo um Apple kind of holds everybody at arm's length. Uh, Apple is uncomfortable with uh, with the CES kind of market, those companies. And when they allow them to play in their ecosystem, it's at arm's length and it's with Apple being in complete control as much as possible. Like the made for iPhone licensing, HomeKit licensing, that's uh, the app store with an approval process. Like that's how Apple interacts. Whereas CES would much prefer it be the Wild West, which, you know, Microsoft and Intel always were like, fine. And I think uh, Google and Amazon are to a point as well. Like, yes, uh, we here's an open thing. Come on in, everybody. And so everybody's taking advantage of it. Also, it's they're new. Like, I, I don't think the the companies at CES or in the tech industry in general are saying, well, we're not interested in the iPhone anymore. But all the connections to the iPhone have been made and the App Store, like connected devices. We assume that if you've got some sort of toy robot, it will have an app, right? That's not going to make news. But connections to... Uh, Alexa or Cortana or Google Assistant will make news. So that's part of it. And, you know, a lot of people push back on Ben and Brian's statements, and I did too, because on one level, I think it's really easy to overstate the importance of Apple being mentioned at CES because so much of the stuff at CES was garbage, is garbage, doesn't ship, nobody buys it, it's not important. But... 
as much as so I do roll my eyes a little bit at the kind of like puffing up of the importance of CES for Apple because Apple kind of never cared. I do understand what they're saying in terms of it being a barometer, because if you've got a huge trade show full of these uh, these companies, large and small, that are trying to find an angle in order to sell their products and all of them are talking about Apple as the angle. And then two or three years later, all of them are talking about Amazon Echo and Cortana and, and Google Assistant as the angle. That's an important data point. Like, it doesn't mean, oh, God, Apple is doomed or anything like that. And Ben Baharin, to his credit, said, I'm not saying that here. But it does say something, which is that the hot new thing that everybody's rushing to try and profit from in some way <laughs> is not in Apple's ecosystem right now. There was HomeKit stuff there. HomeKit seems to be moving along. Um, but that the hot products were not from Apple. The hot the hot things that everybody was trying to connect with are the are, are Amazon and Google and to a lesser extent Microsoft's voice assistants. And that's something to think about. And and I think what is challenging here is that Apple's approach is not the same as these other companies, right? So Apple doesn't have like Amazon has this whole um, set of Alexa connectivity, like the official connectivity and then like the skills library, where which is kind of like an app store for uh, Amazon Echo skills and, and, and uh, plugins. And what does Siri have? Almost nothing, right? We know very limited iPhone apps with access to SiriKit, almost nothing there. There's no Siri outside, right? HomePod hasn't shipped yet. There's no Siri outside of these, you know, these this existing set of Apple devices either. Yeah, and there definitely won't be any devices that come from other companies that have Siri embedded in the way that Google and Amazon are now allowing for. It seems it seems unlikely, right? So, so, so some of this is structural, which is Apple made decisions that make it less likely for uh, your average CES product to connect with it. And that goes back to the wanting control and wanting everybody at arm's length. And it's like, that makes sense. Also, you've got this weird kind of bifurcation that makes sense if you're viewing it from Apple's standpoint to a certain extent anyway. I mean, I could argue about Siri, like what is Siri exactly? And I'm not sure Apple knows. It keeps defining it in different ways. But Apple has Siri. Siri has SiriKit where you can control, you can use Siri to control certain apps, but that's not quite the same as the apps plugging back in and being data sources for Siri. Then you've got HomeKit, which is in some ways Siri in the sense that one of its big selling points is HomeKit is the only way that you can use Siri to control smart home devices, right? Is is you've got to go through HomeKit because Siri only goes to HomeKit. So you've got, you know, Apple's approach to this is different. And we've seen like historically that one of the challenges Apple has in being understood by the rest of the tech industry is that Apple just doesn't behave like other companies and it gets frustrating. It's like, well, why don't you just open it up wide like these other companies? And Apple's like, yeah, we're not going to do that. So it's an interesting case where I think on one level, maybe too much is being made of this but on another level it is an important data point that apple ha is is just rolling out their first sort of embedded smart assistant device which even though it's very audio focused at a time when so much of the tech industry is doing a kind of gold rush into the smart assistant stuff which could be seen as good but their competitors are ahead of them and their competitors are 
allowing these third parties access to their systems in ways that Apple doesn't. And that could go either way. Like you could look at history and say, this could be good for Apple because Apple's going to keep a lid on it. And, you know, adding Alexa skills is a pain. It's, it's an enormous pain. Like the interface is terrible. I will tell you, uh, it's great that all those things are there, but I don't, I I think it's a mess, right? I don't think it's something that Apple would want to, want to approach in the same way, but at the same time, they are there and there are a lot of other devices that will, it will connect with those systems. And meanwhile, Apple's kind of off on its own plane with Siri and HomeKit. And it's worth it's worth watching how that goes because it could be good for Apple. It could also be really bad for Apple because if this is the next wave of technology uh, integration and Apple's products are not only not the leaders, but are kind of like at a disadvantage, that could have an effect on Apple's business. I mean, you could drown in the think pieces that have been written in the past of Apple has won CES and they never were even there, right? But that's not a thing that's happening anymore. It's the inverse. Does that mean anything? We have no idea of knowing right now, but it's something to keep an eye on. Are they falling behind on something that matters? We don't know, right? We don't know if if in the grand scheme of things this stuff matters. But it's a trend in technology right now that all all big tech companies are rushing towards. And if it ends up being a serious thing, then it will be interesting to see what happens to Apple's approach. Yeah, I mean, this is, it's funny. Uh, and some part of this is just me being, uh, writing about Apple for 20 years, but this has all happened before. <laughs> and this will all happen again. It, it happens every year, right? Like there's a thing and it's like netbooks. And Apple, right. And sometimes it works out for Apple and sometimes it doesn't. I think... I think Apple is generally makes the right call because Apple doesn't want to be the subject of a thousand CES vendors trying to shove their half-baked idea and use their platform to advertise it, right? Like, I get it. I get that. Um, Then again, the App Store, with its restrictions and everything, still was a huge benefit for iOS and the iPhone, right? It was a huge deal. And that involved Apple opening its doors a little bit more. And so I think there's a real question about, like, what is... (laughs) You know what this entire segment has boiled down to, Mike? It's something we've talked about before, which is, what the heck is going on with Siri? Like, that's kind of what this is, which is, like, they announced it, it was really exciting, but now it feels like not it's super limited and uh and like there they are add to it every year but they add not a lot right, right? Like, and on the back end presumably they're updating the server stuff but it just you get this feeling like series just kind of like stuck in the mud and there are serious competitors out there that are making more connections to more stuff while Siri is sort of like, you know, limited app connections and a limited set of smart home devices that it'll connect to. And, you know, again, if the net result is a better experience for everybody, that's great. But is Siri really a better experience? And is is not having compatible devices and services a better experience for anybody? I do wonder if the root of all of this is just like, what exactly is Siri supposed to be for Apple? Because Amazon has defined what Alexa is as everything. And there are problems with that approach too. But if you are trying to establish establish an ecosystem, 
Uh, it would be hard to say that there is much of a Siri ecosystem at all. And, and Amazon is cultivating a large echo ecosystem, ecosystem with, uh, with the, um, a lot of which will be bad, <laughs> but still it will be large. So I don't know. I mean, I think you could make a case that Apple is doing the right thing to be, to be careful. And I would say I like Apple being careful and, and not just opening the doors because that leads to a lot of junk. But at the same time, it's really hard not to look at this and think that Apple's still behind and that Siri is still stuck in the mud. Today's show is also brought to you by our friends over at SameBox. If you're listening to this show, I bet there's something that you don't like about email. That's why you need to try SameBox. SameBox has a a bunch of fantastic features that can help make your email more manageable. Because email kind of just all comes into one place and it all just sits in your inbox and it all looks the same. And you can't really work out whether you need to deal with anything until you've actually taken some kind of look at it. Wouldn't it be great if there was a system that could take care of some of this sorting for you? That's what SaneBox does. It will move all of the trivial stuff to different folders, so the only messages in your inbox are the ones that you need to see right now, and then you can get to all the other stuff later. And it's called Sane Later, one of these folders. It's where SaneBox identifies a bunch of things that are like services, emailing you stuff. It's not things that are the most important. But if there's anything that finds its way into a folder that you don't want to be there, you can very easily train SaneBox just by dragging things in and out. And they send you these digests to say, hey, we've noticed that you've asked us to do this thing. Do you you know, just want to double check that it's correct? One of my favorite features is the black hole. Sometimes I find myself on these mailing lists that are impossible for me to get rid of. Like, I, there's nothing I can do. Like, they're, they're not like things I can unsubscribe from. It's just people sending me emails incessantly asking if I saw the last email. Well, now if I drag that email to the black hole, I will never hear from that person ever again, which is wonderful. Uh, Samebox can also let you set up email reminders, snooze your email, and so much more. To help you get a little more organization in your inbox, we've worked with Samebox to get you a great deal. Just go to samebox.com slash upgradefm right now, and you'll get a two-week free trial and an extra $25 credit just because you listen to this show. You have to enter your credit card information unless you decide to buy, so there's nothing to lose. Just go and try it out. Check it out today and get your email finally under control. That is samebox.com slash upgradefm, S-A-N-E-B-O-X dot com slash upgrade and then F-M. And of course, there'll be links in the show notes there. Thank you so much to Samebox for their support of this show and Relay FM. Woo. Let's do some hashtag ask upgrade questions. <laughs> Today's first question comes from friend of the show, Joe Steele. Do you, yeah. and he, Joe wants to know, do you ever think back on Tim Cook saying the future of TV is apps and think, maybe not so much, Tim? <laughs> um, the future of TV is not apps, right? It is more streaming services. That's what the future of TV is. Yeah, and if you wrap those... I, I get what he I get both sides again sorry for being some so somebody who sees both sides of this um, as a way to kind of mock uh, Apple TV I think this is an effective approach thank you Joe Steele um, I get I think that in some ways maybe the future of TV is apps accidentally because what it, what he's really saying is we're just going to open the door and let every streaming service build their own app and we'll and we'll provide a container app that they can tie into if they want which is the TV app but uh, is that really apps? Is that the future of TV? I mean, the nice thing is it means that every 
uh, streaming service can design their and develop their own app, which can take advantage of being an app rather than just a dumb kind of set of uh, containers, lists and things, which is sort of what the old Apple TV was. At the same time, the downside of that is all the streaming services want their uh, interface to be the same across all the platforms, and that can lead to a really weird, disjointed uh, set experience for an Apple TV user, let's say, because then Amazon d- doesn't behave like Netflix, doesn't behave like HBO, doesn't behave like CBS, doesn't behave like the iTunes apps. So, um, yeah... Yeah, it's. I think the future of TV is apps in the sense that the TV boxes are are platforms and streaming services need to live inside them. But that may be it. Yeah, that it isn't like games or shopping things like they showed. You know, like when when the Apple TV was debuted and they were showing off TVOS. It's like, oh, you could do your shopping. Is that, no, yeah. it's, it's not any of that. Like that's well, not what the it TV- is. I feel like Apple has all already realized that sort of the TV app is actually what the center of the Apple TV should be. And they did the software update where they said, oh, no, now that button is going to just take you to the TV app. And I think that would be a good decision if every other app on the platform supported it. But since many of them don't, it's not. And so you end up with it, you know, but that makes sense, right? Like if literally every streaming service that you had on your Apple TV tied into the TV app properly, then you would have a single app, not not a bunch of different apps there in the background that lets you see all your programs and choose what you want to watch and then kicks off an app that's appropriate. That's not a bad approach. The problem is that um, you end up with Netflix disputing you know they don't want to provide the information that apple wants in order to make that to work and so then you're missing a huge swath of programming when stuff like that happens alan asks and this relates to our conversation from earlier if apple does uh iphone 10 plus what do they do with the notch do they keep it the same size as it is in the 10 or do they scale it up and make it bigger so it fits with app design layout. <laughs> this is a very interesting question. It took me a minute to visualize what Alan was asking, but it's like if you imagine the current design, do they make the notch the same size proportionally so that apps can be scaled up properly, or do they make it the same size physically because that's all you need, and then ask developers to rethink designs a little bit again because they don't need to take up as much mm-hmm. space? Um, I think this is a fantastic question. My gut feeling, since there actually is stuff happening underneath the notch, like apps can draw things there. You just never see them except when you're flipping and it's getting shrunk down. Mm-hmm. Um, so my gut feeling is that they will keep the notch the same size, not scale it. Same physical size, right? Yeah, it is same, now. same physical size. And they will tell app developers that they should still honor the safe space up there and and some of the some of the undernotch safe space will show on the larger phone but that that that's fine just don't worry about it is my is my guess i think you're probably right i mean that's it seems like the logical way to do it and if somebody did want to do a custom layout that took advantage of that slightly additional space on those specific phone models, then I'm sure they can do that. But I think Apple's probably basic advice is going to be, 
you know, that's the, that's the, uh, you know, that's the unsafe area that could be covered by hardware. So don't draw anything important in there and, you know, just have the background color match the background around it so that if you're on a phone with a smaller notch or a bigger notch, uh, relatively speaking, then, uh, you just don't have to worry about it is probably my guess. Todd is back with another uh, difficult question for you, Jason. Oh, no. There's too much good TV to watch. How can I watch it all? <laughs> well, Todd, um, I hate to say it, but you're going to have to quit your job and just watch TV. That's how you can watch it all. Because there's literally too much. We, we live in the platinum era of television. There's literally too much good TV to watch. Like, I remember when we were kids, Todd, <laughs> there were... The shows that were good, and you watched them, and then you found shows that were not so good and watched them too, because you still had time to watch TV, and there were no longer any good shows left to watch. This is no longer the case. Now, I don't think any person with a job and a life, even if they make time to binge shows on the weekends and whatever, I'm not sure anybody could get through all the good TV I, I think not. I think it would it would be very hard to do. So that you can't give up. Just find stuff you like and watch that instead. Jason, can you give me some recommendations for good TV right now? Like what is what is Jason Snow enjoying on the television? Um we just finished Patriot on Amazon, which is a uh a spy show. We call it sad spies in our house. <laughs> Um, about a, a a depressed spy who plays a guitar and sings made up songs about his spy missions that he really shouldn't do. Um, it's not for everybody, but I really liked it. It's kind of kind of slow paced, but every at every turn it does something I don't expect. Um, so I I I would recommend that. Um, we just started watching Counterpart which is on stars in the U S I don't know if it's going to be elsewhere in the world. It just premiered on stars this weekend that stars JK Simmons. Um, hmm. and is a kind of John Lacare spy story mixed in with a, uh, sort of a science fiction twist that, um, I've only seen the pilot, but I really liked it. um, I'm trying to think of what else we're watching. We're watching Star Trek Discovery right now, which is on Netflix everywhere, but the U.S. and Canada. Um, I've watched a couple of the new Black Mirror episodes, but uh, haven't gotten further than that with those. What else? I don't know. Um, that's that, that. I mean, that's there's there's some right there. I mean, oh, Travelers. We just this weekend's episode of The Incomparable is about the Canadian science fiction series Travelers, which is available in most of the world on Netflix, and uh, is excellent and surprise has surprising amounts of complexity and uh, is also a lot of fun. But like its premise, it truly commits to its premise, its time travel premise, and uh, is worth is really worth watching. Okay. That's a lot. Of, I mean, one of them that you mentioned, uh, Black Mirror. I could never watch that show. I don't think. I, I just, uh, I can't. I would. I don't even go near it. It's. That's not. Yeah. Me. No. For for somebody who says that, I would say exactly what John Syracuse has said several times, which is you should watch the episode in the third season, San Junipero. Yeah, I've heard it's it's a good story. It's, it's an anthology show, so you can literally just pick and choose, mm-hmm. and that one is the 
that one is the best one. So watch it sometime. It's like a little movie. And there are a few others that I, I like. I don't like I there are a lot of Black Mirror episodes I really dislike, but there are some that I really like. So it's it's uh you know, I watch them, but I watch them with a sort of skeptical eye. Like and I don't subject my family to them. Uh I, I will occasionally rewatch an episode with Lauren because I'll say, Oh, you would like this one, but most not, of them I don't do it's that. Just existentially depressing. Uh, often it is. Often it is. <laughs> San Junipero is, I would say, uplifting. Yeah. And you could argue that USS Callister, the first episode of this new season, is also uplifting. And it's kind of a mini movie and a Star Trek homage. And although it's got some dark, dark stuff in it, it ends ultimately up, I, I would say, ultimately it is a uh, a fun, uh, uplifting kind of story, as uplifting as Black Mirror can, can ever be. Yeah. I mean, I like some of Charlie Brooker's stuff, but I just have like a fundamental... It's not an easy watch. That ultimate idea of like design, like these devices are destroying us, whilst he's also making money from anyway. But uh, Mm -hmm. uh, next question comes from Wakro. What is stopping Amazon from creating a YouTube competitor? So we've spoken a bunch about Amazon and YouTube's struggles. So I did a little bit of uh, thinking on this. Did some digging. So you need two things: you need content creators and audiences. And really, they have to come at the exact same time. Because if you have one but not the other, you're kind of screwed. And it's incredibly difficult to mm-hmm. do that. But Amazon owned Twitch. Yeah, and I, this is the answer. Is Amazon is already already has a YouTube competitor. Yeah, I mean, so the <laughs> thing is, when, when Amazon bought Twitch, it wasn't a YouTube competitor. Because at that point, Twitch is just live streaming. So then yeah. YouTube tried to become a Twitch competitor. But their live streaming stuff is nowhere near as much as Twitch's. So Twitch is now coming from the other end and you can do pre-recorded videos and put them on Twitch. So two things recently. Uh, Twitch just did a deal with Disney. Disney owned Maker Studios. Maker Studios is a YouTube network that houses a lot of the biggest, especially in gaming, um, YouTubers. PewDiePie was in this before all of his stuff happened, right? So he had a deal with Maker Studios for his own little mini network, but Maker Studios is one of the biggest, and they have done a deal uh, with Twitch and Maker Studios done a deal for to create exclusive content that is only available on Twitch. That's coming at some point in the future. They have also created a new set of tools to help people promote content and schedule reruns of streams. Um, which is interesting because in a rerun, the way that they're doing it, the stream can keep going and people can chat as if it's live. It's very interesting. So what Amazon is doing is making Twitch better and better and better over time. And they're trying to chip off some of YouTube. And it has been interesting because this is happening at the exact same time that a lot of content creators are really upset at YouTube because YouTube is doing a bunch of stuff which is really annoying people. And I'm starting to see more and more people get more and more involved in Twitch. So it's interesting to see these moves happening because YouTube is a behemoth in video. And the idea that something will ever come like will come along and, and take it down is like my similar thoughts to Facebook, which is that Facebook is so big, I don't know how anything can knock it off. Like it's big to the point where nothing's been big before. And I feel like YouTube is similar. So I'm 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 keen to see what happens here. Like, how much of a dent can Twitch really make? Uh, honestly, I don't think it will be that big, but I'm keen to see them try. All right. And James asks, 
Jason, do you think we're ever going to see the promised messages in cloud feature in an iOS 11 release? <laughs> or do you think it will be iOS 12, if ever? I would like to believe that Apple is still trying to make an effort to get it in iOS 11. But at some point here, you know that they are going to just say, well, look, we're going to be working on our developer release of iOS 12 for June. <laughs> so we're out of here. Yeah, it's like um, there has to be a cutoff where the feature just moves into the next big release, right? I, we don't know when that is, but there has to be one. Yeah, exactly. So, although, I don't know, my my gut feeling is that this is all server-based stuff, that the real issue here is how you get this to all, well, it's not all server-based, but like the server is a huge part of it too. You got the clients, the clients need to, to send and receive and sync up. I, I don't know where the problem is. And I've seen lots of speculation about what some of the issues might be. I really hope that it will be part of this cycle and not fall, but uh, it's getting there. So I don't know. That would be a black eye. I, I feel like Apple would really rather roll it out at some point in a uh, in a, a dot release rather than having to kind of take their lumps and say, hey, remember that feature? Uh, this time for sure, which they might do, but uh, I think they would rather not. All right, if you would like to send in a question for a later episode to have us answer during the show, just uh, send a tweet with the hashtag AskUpgrade and they collect up into a sheet for me to delve through and pick out some for us to answer. Thank you to everybody who sent questions in this week. So we're going to take our final break for the show. When we come back, we're going to talk about the musical Hamilton, which I'm very excited to discuss with Jason. Uh, today's show is also brought to you by Anchor, the fastest and easiest way for anyone to make a podcast. If you have a thing you want to say, a moment you want to share, maybe you have some great ideas or thoughts that you think the world should hear, you don't have to get yourself a mobile recording rig or a, a big expensive rig like we have. You don't have to do that. Just download the app from the App Store and record into the record with Anchor like you're talking on the phone. You just raise your phone to your face and you speak into it and anchor does the rest they allow you to make a quick podcast of your own and you can add in music and bumpers and all kinds of stuff um, anchor is also a really cool social network as well you can follow people call into stations leave people questions and listen to some of your favorite people share their thoughts with you i've been playing around of anchor a bunch recently um, because i'm doing an ama there so if you go to anchor.fm slash mike hurley you can leave me a question and i've been kind of going through every few days and answering some questions and the more and more i play with the anchor app the more impressed i am um, the technology is great i love the use of emoji their editing tools are really simple to use it is a very very impressive app so if you want to find out more go to anchor.fm that's a-n-c-h-o-r.fm slash mike hurley and uh, leave me a call into my station leave me a message I'm doing a great AMA there I've had some great questions I've got some more that I'm going to answer this week I'll play back the best ones and give my answers so anchor.fm slash Mike Hurley check it out and leave me a question our thanks to Anchor for their support of this show so Hamilton now Obviously, I have been aware of Hamilton for probably like coming up on two years, right? I think that's the point where basically everybody knew, knew about it, right? About like mm -hmm. 18 months, two years ago. Um, and I was aware of it. I knew that people enjoyed it. And then I was like, maybe I should check this out. So I downloaded the, the soundtrack and I didn't listen to it for whatever reason. Then um, I heard it was coming to London, like probably mm -hmm. 18 months ago, maybe longer, probably a bit longer than that. It was the news day it was going to come to London. 
So I figured, well, I know how big a thing this is. I guess I, I will keep an eye out for tickets and I'll sign up for the mailing list. And then about 18 months ago, uh, I listened to some of the music and I listened to a handful of songs twice, just like the first five or six songs. Then I decided that I would never listen to another second of the Hamilton soundtrack until I could see it. Because I knew it was good, right? I was listening to it. I was like, oh, this, this sounds really good. But I don't know the story. I don't know the context. I can't see anything. I want to wait. And then uh, one year and two weeks ago, the tickets went on sale for the London showing of Hamilton. And I bought my ticket. And last Wednesday, we went to see it. And I have thought about nothing else since, I think. <laughs> um there are very few things that you will experience in your life that are hyped beyond belief that can actually live up to it. Um, Hamilton exceeds that for me. I pretty much immediately knew I was going to love it. Like it started and it just felt good. And I was like, this is going to be fun. But I didn't know by the end just how much I was going to love it. I mean, you know, one of the interesting things is I don't know a lot of this history. I especially know right. nothing about Hamilton. Right? Like, I just don't know a ton about the American Revolution in general. And I didn't know anything about Hamilton. Basically, nobody did, right? Like, And that's one of the fun things about this is no one really knew his story, even though he was on the $10 bill. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that's made the show so fun is that people got to learn some history. Um, I want to talk about King George real quick. Because this, okay. is, this is an interesting thing, right? So this whole show is focused around the revolution, right? America breaking away from the rule of... like to, It's no longer a colony, right? Breaking out of the British Empire. Right. So, and one of the, the, the big characters who has a, a bunch of just solo songs, like... Solilo- I don't know the term. Anyway, uh, is King George. And... Yes. The moment King George stepped onto the stage, everyone in the theatre just lost it. It was hilarious. The guy playing him was fantastic. The costume is wonderful. And it highlighted to me a funny thing about, the. I think, maybe part, maybe the difference between Americans and British people. Because, like, I saw a clip of Lin-Manuel Miranda, the creator, the, the, the wonderful creator and writer and composer of Hamilton, about the opening night of the London show. And he was nervous about how British people would react to King George. And also, in the same vein, I have had a bunch of American friends ask me about, like, oh, like, how are British people going to react to Hamilton? Like, it's all about the American Revolution. Like... It, <laughs> But there are two things here. One, British people love self-deprecating humor. Like, that is our thing. We take great joy in making fun of ourselves. So King George being portrayed the way he is is just wonderful. Like, full of uh, regret and hate, and, and he's so upset that anyone would think to leave him, and he's in this wonderful like gown and crown and all that kind of stuff. It's just hilarious to us because it's making fun of us. Right, but we kind of go along with that. And the other thing is, and and I, I don't mean this disrespectfully, but British people do not care about the American Revolution today. Like, no one thinks about it. We don't. 
Like, British people don't feel like we lost America, right? Like, this isn't a thing. We don't think about it. It's, like, so far in our history, and there was an entire empire that we lost. It wasn't just America. It was, like, most of the world. And, like, I think that it is more prevalent in American history because you have Independence Day. And, like, at some point, you have to learn about why you celebrate Independence Day. Mm-hmm. We don't have like Goodbye America Day, right? Like I, I never learned. Maybe you should. Maybe we should. Be, you could do fireworks and everything. The, Jet the, skis. The, the American Revolution, probably for for you know reasons, is not taught in school. Like mm. I don't ever think about it. Like I am not bitter and upset and mad about the fact that the America is no longer a part of our empire. So, like, it's just funny to me. It was just funny to me to, to, for people to give those reactions of, like, oh, we're so, how is it going to be reacted? Like, how are people going to, like, we love it. I mean, and also, we love America, right? Like, Britain has a love affair with America, and this is just more America for us. Like, and, but it's just funny, like, watching it. It's like, I don't even, even when I'm watching this unfold, I'm not even thinking about Britain. Um, right. Because it's like a different, it was a different age for us. Like, it's a different thing. That Britain is not this Britain. Right, like that. Yeah, that America is not this America either. Exactly. That's uh, yeah. But there is like I think more of a well, there is more of a, there is a celebration in America for it, which we also certainly don't we, have. And we understand the mythology. Like American school children are given, you know, this the mythology of the the American Revolution and the founding of the of the United States. Right. Mm-hmm. So we have these f- figures, these famed figures, of which. Alexander Hamilton has generally been considered a minor player, but yes, your George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, like there are there are the big names, um, and and as an American growing up, you know all of that. So then you see this, and there's that additional resonance of like knowing the the legend of George Washington and and Thomas yeah, Jefferson. Yeah, so that's really interesting. On stage. The, the the introductions of uh, Jefferson and Washington in the, the the musical are these huge moments right like mm-hmm. the way they introduce washington is like you've been waiting for him here he is yeah. but like that doesn't hit with us yeah like i wasn't ki- waiting kills for me. him it's, i like, love it <laughs> i didn't even think about him right like i don't really know a lot of the history so like for, for i think for our audience king george coming out onto the stage is way more <laughs> of a fun moment because <laughs> it's like this weird mirror being turned on us because we are in the victoria palace theater watching this. Yes. Right. And well and, and he's he's singing it in a in a uh, very kind of Brit poppy style, it's right? So that, that's wonderful. the choice I mean, that when, when I, Miranda made for those songs. Yeah. When I hear his songs, I think of Elton John. That's yes, who I, think I agree. Of. I hear a lot of people who say that it's sort of like Beatles esque and I'm like it's mm, not no, it's Elton, Elton John. John. It's Elton yeah. John completely. Because mm-hmm. it's all piano as well. Um and also yeah. by the way, like currently uh what is what is the name of his first the first song you'll be back that is currently my favorite song i love it so much because it's (laughs) it it fills me with so much joy uh Mm -hmm. and like i i will say i i prefer the 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 way that the british actor sings it because i can hear the american in the broadway recording ah Right, like John, I, I can John hear it. Off, yeah, yeah, like it's very good. His, his accent is very good. Like some of the the way that he pronounces the words, but just like the hearing it sung, hearing a British person put on a fake British accent, just is more fun <laughs> for me. Uh, so like, but it, it, 
that this so but like you know all of the introductions of the the big people in the play they don't really hit in the same way it's very interesting i think it's it's it there is this weird mix i expect of how it's uh represent like how it's uh accepted in the different audiences and like the funny thing for me is i didn't know what the end was like i know he says i know like burr at the beginning says that oh i'm the fool who shot him but i don't know if that means he dies or not like i didn't know (laughs) until the end Mm. Yeah, it's. Uh, I was going to say the only two things that Americans knew about Alexander Hamilton mostly were that he was on the ten dollar bill. Maybe mm-hmm. they knew that. Maybe, and there was an ad for the milk producers, part of their award winning Got Milk campaign, mm-hmm. and that ad was a guy sitting in a room full of Alexander Hamilton, Aaron Burr, and Duel memorabilia including like the pistol and he's listening to the radio while um, eating like a peanut butter sandwich and the radio says we're going to give a big prize to the first caller who can tell us who uh who shot alexander hamilton in that (laughs) famous duel and he calls in and they say what's your answer and he goes because his mouth is full of peanut butter and then you cut to got milk right Wow, that's very so funny weird. ad, famous ad, well known, <laughs> and honestly, kind of like that's how people knew who Alexander Hamilton was for a, a very long time, but not anymore, not anymore. So yes, so I a lot of American audiences go in there knowing that this is the this is the most famous thing about a- Alexander Hamilton, which is really unfair when you get to dig into what exactly. I mean, he kind of shaped how American government ended up working out, shaped the world, um, right? Because like, the, the things that he did. Other countries adopted, right? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. No, it's true. But he was so disliked mm-hmm. by so many of the people who were his contemporaries who did end up in power so he was that, that he d- he did not get the credit that he probably deserved. Um, that is not to say that he is oh actually the towering figure behind the American Revolution, but a hugely influential person who ended up not being very well known other than this real odd thing about how he was a fa- founding father who didn't uh, kind of go on like all so many of the rest to be president or to be prominent in politics because he died young-ish. And, um, and also just the novelty of the fact that the sitting vice president of the United States shot him in a duel. That's crazy. But anyway, so yeah, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, it's cool to think that you were like, was he going to die here? Yeah, I had no yes. idea. I had no idea. Yes, he is going to die here. But let me say, Time stops, right. the bullet is hanging and hanging in, uh, in that moment. Oh, and a, uh, oh, he so considers good. his life. Yeah. Again, so it's like, I'm so happy I didn't listen to the music because I wouldn't have understood the gravity of some of these situations, right? Like, I would have learned the songs without seeing the context, and I'm so pleased that I got it with the context because the final two songs, like, I am in tears, right? Oh, yeah. In the theater. Oh, yeah. Now, and I would not have got that, I don't think, if I would have known the music. Because I wouldn't have experienced it, in my opinion. Like, for me, I wouldn't have experienced it in the same way. Like, this was when I was learning about this. Like, I I didn't know this was going to happen. And, like, the, the final song where mm-hmm. I oh, my God. Mm-hmm. I So, we have listened. To, Even if you harden your heart and you can get through the rest of it, the moment that they talk about the orphanage, you're gone. Yeah, That's that it. was Forget it. That, it. it. The orphanage was when I turned the, the point from like oh tears in eyes to tears rolling yeah. down face. It was the orphanage. Uh, yeah, the th- that's like, it. So we have been listening to this soundtrack constantly for the last five days. 
I have not and cannot listen to Who Lives, Who Dies, Who Tells Your Story. I can't do it. I need I to, have listened, more time. I've listened to Act 1 an awful lot. I've listened to Act 2 a much smaller number of times because it is quite a ride. And while it's very good, it's also very painful. I mm-hmm. once, I was driving to the airport to pick up my mom and made the mistake of playing Hamilton. And I was sitting on the 880 freeway in Oakland, like 20 minutes, yeah. uh, 10 minutes from the airport. And, and we got to the end of act two. And I was like, God, God. Yeah, and I was just like tears streaming this, down. I'm like, what am I doing? Because you've seen, you've seen yeah, the traveling production, yeah. so right? My, so my, my method here was that I listened to it an awful lot. And then after whatever, a year or, or so of listening to it, knowing that we were going to see it, in uh, 2017, I kind of stopped listening to it. So by the time we went and saw it in April or something, um, I hadn't I hadn't really listened to it in three or four months. So I because I, I wanted I wanted to create a little bit of a gap so that I could come in and have it be not, not that I wouldn't know the songs by heart, but that I wouldn't have heard them for a while, and it would be kind of like I'd be getting that experience of like now here it is, I'm getting to see it instead of if that makes any sense instead of like literally listening to it on the way in before the show. Like I wanted to create a sort of special space there, um, and so yeah, and then we saw it, and and the you know the same thing. It was the the it was an incredibly we brought our kids. Um, it was a, an incredibly emotional experience. It was amazing. It was the best uh, theater experience I've ever had. And I've I've been to theater. I'm not you know I I'm not a uh, diehard theater goer, but I've seen a lot of I've seen a lot of theater over the years. And this beat out like uh, my favorite previously was something I'd seen in Ashland, Oregon, like 30 years before. <laughs> so um, it beat that out. And then um, we, we managed, Lauren and I managed to go a second time right before it left town. And that was great. And it was really different because I, I was able to survey it a little less emotionally than the first time, because it was no longer just about the story and about finally the end of this journey of now I get to see this thing. Mm-hmm. And it was, and I had seen it once before. So I was able to pay attention to kind of some of the stuff that maybe I missed in the moment. And that was pretty great too. I don't bring that up a lot because there's nothing worse than being the person who says you know the second time you see hamilton is different because people are like shut up (laughs) like i don't want to hear about the second time you see hamilton but we did sneak it in there um we were lucky to do that so and we'll when it comes back here i will try to go see it again because it was great one of the reasons that i was in tears um was because i was dumbfounded that one person could do this like i cannot fathom how one person could create and write all of this wonderful music and tell this story completely through song it's like a masterpiece and i cannot fathom how one man did it i just can't it is uh you know as a creative thing it is amazing i mean he obviously has a great support system and he's got his arranger alex lackamore mm-hmm. and um and then but and the, the whoever did the choreography the choreography is amazing too um my wife and daughter who are dancers uh at least you know they like to they take dance classes and stuff like that were especially amazed by the the choreography in the mm-hmm. show but yeah in the end Lin-Manuel Miranda, boy, that's a really talented guy. I love the, I love seeing somebody so amazingly talented um, and being able to kind of will something like this into existence because it's such a huge project. And, he, and, it's, and it's something that took him, you know, years to put together. And, it, and, and the thing that amazes me is if you just listen to the, to the cast recording, um, 
there are so many good songs in this show. Oh, it's so kind good. of mind blowing. Like you mentioned how um, uh, you'll be back is your, uh, your favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, I have had like 10 different favorite songs. Oh, yeah, in yeah, Hamilton. yeah. Cause also the room when when I finished <laughs> the show, the room where it happens was my favorite. Cause I love that oh. one so much. Cause also it's like so good. the thought of that song, like what is going into that song is so mm-hmm. tantalizingly interesting. And like, so many different oh. styles too, yes. right? That like he's telling a story, he's bringing in history and the, the songs are in different so- styles, yep. whether it's Elton John or a uh, room where it happens is, you know, uh, a very different thing stylistically than something like helpless or satisfied. Like it, it's all over the place. Yeah, and, we, we and, found a, yeah. a, a documentary, um, which was on PBS on YouTube. Oh yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, mm-hmm. which it's difficult to find. It's called Hamilton's America. Like it keeps mm-hmm. getting taken down and we watched a low quality version <laughs> of it. Uh, but there was, there was a guy who was, who was talking on it. I mean, one person can, like compared him to Shakespeare, which is like, I can totally understand that. Uh, and an, another person was saying that like, I think this was the guy who wrote the book that that, that Lin Manuel Miranda oh, right. based a lot of the 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 what we square got yeah, Ron history from. Mm-hmm. That's it. And he said like people are, uh, are paying attention to this because the the rap and hip hop is novelty on the stage on the Broadway stage and now the West End stage. But there are all styles of music represented here, including just traditional show tunes. But like people are, are saying, oh, it's the hip hop musical because typically that it's not featured in huge musicals. So well, and it's got it's got it's making some very specific hip hop references at very various specific, points that would yeah. only be appreciated by people who are deep into hip hop and and the history of yep. rap and things like that that I've like read about styles. now. And I'm like, wow, I had no idea. That's fantastic, right? There's so, there's so amazing stuff in there. I would be remiss if I didn't at least mention one of the things that's happening here too is that in, beyond the music, beyond the text, beyond the choreography, the casting is intentionally part of the story of this, that the story of uh, America and so much history is about uh, white men. And so Hamilton is cast with uh, people of color in all the major parts, except for the king, it's the same in London too. By the way, yeah, and yeah, and that's there... and that is that is part of the story of Hamilton. Yep. Is it's talking about immigrants in the early days of the United States. Everybody was Im- an immigrant. Alexander Hamilton, like Lin Manuel Miranda, whose father immigrated from uh, Puerto Rico, uh, or parents immigrated from. Puerto Rico. I don't know if they both came together. Anyway, um, Alexander Hamilton was from a poor uh, Caribbean island, and although he was Scottish in his background he was poor and his mother died and all those things that happened in the beginning and he ends up sort of getting sent to America because he's so brilliant that they they take up a collection to send him to America because he deserves a decent education and it is an immigrant story and so Miranda is taking that and saying you know in this era where uh, immigration is this argued about thing American it's worth remembering that America is a nation of immigrants founded by immigrants and here's a poor immigrant from the Caribbean who was looked down on and insulted for where he came from by a lot of uh, well-known people um, and the impact he made. And one of the ways that the show does that is by having it not just be a parade of white guys playing those parts and in fact saying, no, we're going to have it all be 
people of color instead. Um, and that's part of the politics of, of Hamilton. And it's not in the script. <laughs> and other than, you know, I mean, there are parts where like immigrants would get the job done. So mm-hmm. that is a, an applause line in the They've United States, at least I will tell you. Too. Yeah, they it, stop because it cheer, the cheer is too long and they have to, they have to stop at that point <laughs> for the cheers in San Francisco. Let me tell you, that was a big applause mm-hmm. line. Anyway, it's great. It's oh. great. I mean, that's the other thing that came out of it when I saw it. I was th- uh, flashing back to that when you you, you were uh, posting that you had just gotten out of it. Is is that was the thing that I told people afterward? It's like, hey, guess what? Hamilton's really good. Like, I mean, like it's the stupidest thing to say, but then you see it and you're like, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. yeah it's it lives like, I up need to the you hype, to know I would that say. I know it's good. That's why we're doing it's, this right now. We, is I need our you year all end, to know that our this year is end amazing. incomparable episode. That was one of the things I mentioned. Is like we were talking about things we liked in 20, 2017. And I said, you know, I have to say it. I saw Hamilton a couple of times in twenty seventeen. Turns out, did you know Hamilton's pretty good? Yeah, it is. It is pretty good. It is so interesting to me that something could be made which is this good. Like it's it's we it's there's like the <laughs> we make things right. Like we try try and be creative and make things. And the thought that somebody could make something that everybody just loves is like such an interesting thing. It's like how do you do that? Like how it's it's why I'm one of the reasons that I am so wrapped up in this right now is just not just because it's incredible it is why is it incredible like that's that, that's what i'm like i will never come to an answer but like what makes it so good it, we yeah so we're just we're just obsessed we bought the vinyl i know that will drive you bonkers but we bought the <laughs> yep. vinyl and so we now have the four disc vinyl set because i want a thing right like we listen to it in apple music but yeah. i want a thing and we took the program that we bought and we put it inside the box right and now we have that and nice. we're going to go again because this is going to be in London probably for like 20 years now, I expect. Like, <laughs> probably. it will be in the West End. Like, you know, like, uh, the Book of Mormon just celebrated its 10th year in the West End, right? Like, this will be here forever, uh, but we are going to go as soon as we can. So it's sold out until the end of July. There are no more tickets available past July. So I think they're going to do it in blocks, right? That They, they just release blocks because it's not going to go away in July. But we have the lottery system here too. And whenever we have a free evening, we'll enter the lottery for that evening. I will see this show again and I'll probably see it again after that. And we'll just keep trying to see it because I need to keep consuming it because I love it so much. So it's wonderful. Just wonderful. So that's Hamilton. If you have the opportunity to see Hamilton, see it. Go see it. And also, if you've never listened to it, don't. If you're going to see it, don't. Yeah, right. That is my advice. Like, if you have the ability to get a ticket to it and you get one and you haven't yet listened, I would say just don't. Like, just experience sure. it because the this music is, will be there afterwards. It's uh, if you've waited this long exactly. and haven't listened to it, then just yes, go then see don't. it. Then, then, then don't, don't spoil yourself. It's like good. you, yeah, you've already given yourself like two and a half years without listening to it. Just give yourself another six months, right? And I the, know. I, I know, you know, the hype can be like make people roll their eyes like, oh boy, I'm tired of hearing about it. It's really good. That's, I mean, that's the bottom line is it's a really great show and you don't have to, you don't have to join the fan club and you don't have to create fan art and you don't have to watch all the videos on YouTube. You could just go to the theater and see it. It's an amazing theatrical experience um, that is, it's rich. The the lyrics and music are fantastic. The story is great. Um, 
and uh, you don't, won't feel like you're getting a history lesson, even though there it, it is about things that really happened, more or less. I wanted to plug one thing. If you do like Hamilton and you didn't know about it already, uh, people should check out the podcast we did at The Incomparable in 2016. We did a podcast called Pod for Ham. It's all there. The whole thing is there. You can subscribe and listen to it at your leisure. And it is an episode about every single song it is a completed project which is yes doesn't happen a lot i'm done (laughs) that was my 2016 i produced a basically 50 episode podcast about hamilton are you on over on weekly i am not i'm only on like five but i edited all of them and i i assigned all the panels so it was a lot of work even though my voice is only well my voice is on every episode because i introduce it but uh i'm only a participant in like five or six of them I wished it was still going. <laughs> I could throw my, my opinion in, but I've got it here now. But my gosh, what a show. Oh, I, I'm tearing up again thinking about it. It, yep. it hit me, man. I couldn't talk. I'm glad you liked it. I was speechless. It's great. Like, Adina was trying to talk to me about it, and I would start talking, and I'd start crying again. She's like, clearly, we yep. can't talk about this right now. Yeah, yeah. wonderful. All right. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. You can find our show notes at relay.fm slash upgrade slash 177. Uh, thanks again to our sponsors, Anchor, FreshBooks, and SaneBox. As always, you can be involved in the show. You can tweet to us. You can send us emails, but you can send in questions with hashtag SnowTalk and hashtag AskUpgrade. Uh, and if you have any cool stories that you want to be uh, included in a future Upstream segment, you can send them to me. Um, and I will include those. Uh, Jason Snell can be found at theincomparable.com, sixcolors.com, and on many shows at Relay FM. If you only listen to this show, pick another, relay.fm slash shows. There's a bunch of shows of me on, a bunch of shows of Jason on. Uh, they're all great, and we have many, many more for you to choose from. Jason is at Snell on Twitter. I am at imike, I-M-Y-K-E, and we'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snell. President John Adams, good luck. I wonder what line you were going to pick. Uh, (laughs) I was trying hurriedly to come up with something, and that's what I got for you. Good luck. (laughs) 